Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Better Relationships, Better Life, where relationships expert Judy K. Herman and her guests share insights that can help you move through conflicts in your 9-to-5 jobs and your 24-7 lives. Crack the clarity code and create deeper connections. Beyond the messiness of relationships, here's your host, Judy K. Herman. When it comes to the workplace and personal relationships, many of these episodes give us insights into people skills, strategies, and creating healthy environments. As a speaker and retreat facilitator, I support organizations as well as entrepreneurial couples. Find me on LinkedIn, Judy K. Herman, or my website, judyspeaker.com. In this episode, we'll talk about Alzheimer's and caregiver relationships. Cheryl Blanchard is a licensed social worker, certified dementia care specialist, and a certified case manager. She has worked with seniors for several years in a variety of roles and has focused most of her training on caring for those with Alzheimer's disease, along with their families. Cheryl provides information on caring for a loved one with dementia diagnosis and how to care for yourself while caring for a loved one. Let's listen in. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us on Better Relationships, Better Life. You have an amazing profession, uh, working with families in Alzheimer's, and there is so much value. It was exciting to meet you a couple of weeks ago, just outside of Nashville yeah. at a conference. Mm -hmm. And uh, why don't you share with folks who you are and what you do? Okay. Uh, my name is Cheryl Blanchard. I am a licensed social worker by training, but a dementia care specialist by passion. So I've been working with families impacted by Alzheimer's disease for about 15 years. And uh, like you, Judy, I've got a background in counseling. Uh, so that really comes into play when I'm working with families, helping them understand the changes and especially the changes to the relationships, as we'll be talking about today. Um, a few uh, or about uh, one year ago, a little over a year ago, I was privileged to move to Middle Tennessee and I am the regional director for Alzheimer's Tennessee. And we're a nonprofit just here in Tennessee. We uh, don't do anything outside of the state because we're local, not national. Gotcha. So you're not affiliated with a national organization. You're, you stand alone independent. Correct. But I know that all the things that you're sharing, of course, we, those more than uh, are listening that are not just from Tennessee, from all, but from all over, perhaps all over the world, but you, you have so much wisdom that you can share about your work with Alzheimer's because when you were, you and I were talking earlier, it's like, there's so many, even similar dynamics with folks that are going through messy relationships that yeah. doesn't involve Alzheimer's. But first of all, do share what the definition of Alzheimer's is for folks that may not know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of my favorite questions. So um, Alzheimer's disease is one of many diseases that causes this thing that we call dementia. Now, many people use those terms interchangeably, but uh, you were just talking about watching, um, I think your your granddaughter play tennis. You know, if she fell and hurt her knee, you would put a bandage on it. And 99% of us are going to call it a Band-Aid mm-hmm. because that's the brand name that we're most familiar with. So uh, that's what we do with Alzheimer's and dementia. So dementia is a syndrome. It's not a disease in and of itself, but it's what the word we use to describe changes, cognitive changes, changes in thinking, in language, with short-term memory, with uh, processing math, problem solving. And then once we notice these kind of cognitive changes, then we go looking for the cause. Alzheimer's disease is the leading cause of dementia, but there are many other things that cause dementia as well. Uh, Lewy body disease, frontal temporal Um, dementia, uh, vascular dementia, and about 80 other diseases. So is Alzheimer's an inherited uh, thing? Like if you've you've got an elderly parent and they have Alzheimer's, is that that something that's passed down? Um, Yes and no. So there is a genetic link. We call that marker APOE4. And if you had the the genetic marker, APOE4, it may increase your chances of later developing Alzheimer's disease. But like any other genetic marker or disease, it's not a guarantee. And what we're learning now is that that genetic marker is really not the biggest risk factor unless it's early onset Alzheimer's, like uh, Pat Summit here in Tennessee had, Tennessee people will know her name. Under 65 diagnosis is early onset. That one has a little more of a genetic link and frontal temporal dementia has more of a genetic link. But most experts will say just because you have that gene doesn't mean you're going to definitely develop the disease. And uh, many lifestyle factors, including getting a good night's sleep, are very preventative. And that's where a lot of research is going now is in, in that marker and how much it increases your risk. Wow. There's uh, sleep is huge, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. just for our mental health overall. Well, Mm -hmm. let's get right in because I want to talk about the dynamics and the family dynamics that are involved when you have a loved one who has Alzheimer's. And and again, this could apply to other types of dementia and and problems. But Mm -hmm. um, what are some of those common problems, Cheryl, that loved ones face when they first realize that their family member has Alzheimer's? Well, the biggest problem is one that they don't even know they have, and that's denial. Mm. Uh, Just like when any bad news we get, we want to deny it, we want to cover it up, we want to say, oh no, mom's just getting older, you know, dad's just getting older, it's fine. And the problem with that is that the sooner you know, the sooner you get that diagnosis, the sooner you can start therapies that will be helpful. And a lot of families really put that off um, to the point where it's it's a little late to start some of the, the therapeutics and things like that. So cover for the person instead of going and getting a a diagnosis. And then uh, many people now whose parents are getting this diagnosis find themselves in in what we call that sandwich generation. Mm. You know, they're still raising children of their own. Like, you know, I still have a a college kid at home, uh, but then they're also trying to still work maybe, and then also take care of this family member with Alzheimer's disease. So just the, the challenges of being drawn into so many different responsibilities and commitments and which one do you prioritize and how do the people that aren't the priority feel now? Um, I'll say that one of the other big things is the change in roles. 
You know, if you're mm. a child, now you become the parent mm. to your one. And uh, that doesn't always go over well with the parent. You mm. know, when the child that you raise is now telling you what you can and can't do or where you can and cannot live, or they're taking away things like your car or moving mm. out of your home, it gets very difficult. And then one of the other big changes we see in relationships is that the person who becomes the care partner often has to take on responsibilities and duties that the person with the diagnosis once handled. And we've seen this a lot, especially um, with older wives, they may never have handled paying the bills or looked at a mortgage or known where the insurance policies were. And suddenly they're taking over all of that as well. Wow. So it's uh, it's, it's uh, very overwhelming to them because now they're taking on these other roles that they really never handled before. So, so the, um, the misconceptions that people have about Alzheimer's, that's, that plays in, into all of this, I would imagine. What are some of those misconceptions? It does. Well, one of the biggest ones is that it's a normal part of aging, that if you get mm. older, you're just going to get dementia. And, mm. and of course they use the word dementia and Alzheimer's interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a huge one. I like to uh, tell people it is not contagious. So please still go visit. Um, the misconception about being a friend or a family member or a church member outside is that, well, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to mm. say to the person. So we just don't go visit, but mm. there's nothing you can say just like with other kinds of grief, mm. uh, you know, you don't have magic words that are going to make it all better, but just go. And a lot of times they'll withdraw. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a big issue for the families. Uh, another one is that there's nothing you can do about it. There certainly are many, many lifestyle decisions that we can make much earlier in our lives that'll decrease the chances that we'll ever develop Alzheimer's disease. And uh, the other uh, big one that I deal with on a daily basis is at family members just not understanding how this disease changes their loved one. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, what do you mean my dad, who's 75 years old and has a PhD in chemistry, can't uh, mm -hmm. put his own clothes on anymore? What are you talking about? Or mm -hmm. again, the big one is, what do you mean he can't drive? So just being mm -hmm. able to see those changes mm -hmm. in their loved one who can remember things from 40 years ago, but not things from two hours ago. It, it, families just think they're fooling they're being difficult, they're making this up, but really they truly are experiencing a change in how their short-term memories are stored. So families have the, probably the hardest time understanding that. Wow, you covered a lot of bases and I think it's great that you're sharing all of this, Cheryl. I, I'm thinking, so So when a person gets initially diagnosed, is, is it kind of like really late later on versus the early onset of it? And I, I'm thinking too, dynamics with families, if you're around your family member a lot, and it's like, that's their normal, right? That's their normal mm -hmm. if they're forgetting things. And, mm -hmm. and then maybe this, like you said, the denial. So maybe mm -hmm. you could speak to that a little bit. And yeah, well, uh, it, the yeah. one thing too, is you, Judy, you know, you and I, if somebody came up to us and said, how did you two meet? We're going to say, oh, yeah, I was at this great conference. It was at uh, Montgomery Bell. Our tables were across each other because we shared that memory. Right. So one of the difficult things for families is that they share that memory and they have 50 years, 60, 70 years worth of memories, especially married couples that have been married a long time. So mm -hmm. one thing that we do is we kind of fill in those gaps on a regular basis without even thinking about it. Mm. It's very easy for you and me both to say, oh, Montgomery Bell, because yeah. we share that. Uh, and we do that a lot with each other in relationships without thinking about it, but families have all those years and they kind of fill in the gaps. 
So yes, very often it is kind of brushed over as well. Mom's just getting old. Um, we know that Alzheimer's disease is staged in seven stages. And uh, most people don't get diagnosed until between three and four. And local experts that I work with would say, by the time you're diagnosed, mm. it's probably already time to stop driving and stop doing uh, some of these other things yeah. that people think, well, she just got diagnosed. It's okay. Uh -huh. But really stages one through three, uh -huh. you may not notice significant changes. So it's not late necessarily, unless uh -huh. a family really puts it off for a long time. But usually around stage three to four is where families finally will go and, and get that diagnosis. Well, describe what does stage like, okay, if they're going, if they get initially diagnosed at stage three or four, mm -hmm. they need some help. They need to make some changes, lifestyle changes. And then there's seven stages altogether. Like, does that progress quickly? And I'm just, um, and we might be getting off because I do want to focus on, <laughs> I yeah. want to focus on the family dynamics and, yeah, yeah. you know, even the and, progression and of the disease. Mm -hmm. It really varies. And it depends on which type of dementia they have. So mm -hmm. some of the dementias do progress faster just because of the way that they impact the brain. But it really depends. One thing that we know, and, and to, to get us back on relationships, families often think it's the best thing to keep their loved one at home. You know, they make promises that I will keep you at home. I'll care for you at home. And sometimes we notice it progressing faster because mm. you can't spend all day stimulating them. You can't do activities all day. You can't have them engaged all day. So even though it seems like the loving thing to do to keep them home, we see sometimes that they're not getting the call. And when they do move into a community, things kind of level out for them. It goes a little bit slower because now they are getting wow. that stimulation. So uh, there's so many things that um, vary with how long it takes to progress, um, diet, uh -huh. whatever health conditions they have, how much cognitive stimulation they're getting and things like that. So it's, it, it's kind of a tough question to answer and each person yeah. kind of goes at their own speed really yeah and I realize some of these questions it's like it doesn't apply to everybody right? Right. Like, there's so many different variations of relationships but but I think what I'm hearing you say is when when a person does if they even go like into an assisted living or something where there's community it can actually you know slow that process down with these other Absolutely. relationships and more stimulation yeah. we are brain. social creatures mm -hmm. so a lot of times people say well mom wants to stay in her home we're going to let her live at home but think about mom in her home not mm -hmm. seeing another person for days yeah. on end not having a conversation and it doesn't even have to be as far as an assisted living there are adult day programs in most communities mm -hmm. for people okay. with to go and uh, they interact all day they have activities they might go on trips. Uh, we have an online community um, called the Memory Cafe. And those mm. are people early with a diagnosis that get together, take care of each other. They do activities together and share. And it's just that, a wonderful community. Wow. What yeah. meaningful work that is, Cheryl. So as far as the, going back to the family dynamics, you've got mm -hmm. siblings and maybe you've got some estranged siblings. They've not talked with each other or one of the siblings uh, taking care of mom or dad who has Alzheimer's is has been known as the caregiver perhaps all their lives. Right. And maybe you can speak to that. What are some things that you've seen that have been problems or maybe some easy solutions to some of these the very complicated dynamics that could be going on? Complicated is a great word. And that's a, that's a big part of what I do on a daily basis. I, I shared with you, I just got off the phone with a daughter right before we started this, just kind of working through some things with her. But I think the biggest thing is um, for families, I would say one of the biggest um, mistakes 
they make is assuming that the child or a person who lives closest can take on everything. Mm. So they say, oh, well, Judy, you know, you live closer to mom, so you're going to take care of it. And it's just too big of a job for one person. So uh, one of the biggest things that we encourage families to do is very early on have a family meeting. Uh, I will sit in on those for anybody in Tennessee or one of our regional directors will. We'll sit with you, talk about what are some of the decisions you need to make? Because just like with any other crisis, and, and this is a crisis when you get this diagnosis, mm-hmm. the more planning you do in advance, the better off things are going to be. Make mm. decisions before you need to. Uh, get the appropriate paperwork in place. And that's why a denial it really makes things very difficult because families need things like a power of attorney, like an advanced care directive, but they wait until it's too late mm. to get that done. Well, now we've got a mom or a dad who cognitively cannot sign a legal document anymore. And unfortunately, when it gets to the point where they can't and you need to make decisions, now you have to get something uh, in Tennessee called the conservatorship, which means you're suing mom or dad to take their rights away. And that is not where you want to go. So we try to work with families early on. And I would say the biggest thing is open, honest communication. What can you handle? What can you not handle? Who's better at money? You don't want me to be the financial POA. (laughs) You would want somebody else to do that. My brother's great at that, but I can handle going to medical appointments and asking the questions and understanding that. So um, planning in advance, just open communication between family members, Uh, listening to the person that lives there Mm. is, is a big thing. Because if I live with my mom or live next door and see her every day, I'm seeing things that you as my sister across the country are not. Mm. And you might call and check on her and have a, a lovely conversation because it's chit chat, a casual, which we retain for many, many years. But I know that when you get off the phone, mom put the phone in the freezer. So when I'm telling you this is bad, things are getting mm. serious. Listen, listening to the person who's around the most and not shutting them down out of fear mm. or denial uh, not believing them because that the one who's around the most, the one who's a primary caregiver does get extremely overwhelmed, both physically, emotionally, financially, time burdens. Wow. So, so the biggest what? thing is just coming together and making a plan. And that's one thing that we help families do as well. Yeah, that that is so very important. If you've got all these these dynamics that have been going on for years in in your family, and then you're dealing with this to even think that you could magically work together when there's all this angst. And I, I, at least what I've come across in my counseling with families over the years, not just on this particular issue, but the, the caregiver, like there's, if there's one primary caregiver, there's so much resentment that can build up and anger and they are overloaded. Yeah. What, what advice can you give to that caregiver that is is there and perhaps they've not had any cooperation from uh, from their families? Other, I mean, their extended families, their siblings. Yeah, yeah. yeah extremely common, extremely constant. Another thing I deal with on a regular basis is it, it, they, uh, well, first of all, I, I share with them, much like you probably do in your practice, that look, a feeling is just a feeling. A feeling mm-hmm. is neither good nor bad. It's just a feeling. And if you're angry today, that's fine. There's a mm-hmm. lot to be angry about. If yeah. you're overloaded today and you want to just curl up in a corner and cry, that's okay. There's a lot to cry about, but don't stay there. So we talk about feeling angry, feeling resentful. All of those can be a normal part of this caregiving process, especially if you're by yourself and nobody is helping. So don't beat yourself up. Don't feel guilty about that. Um, It's absolutely normal, but just monitor that and don't get stuck there. If you get stuck being angry for a week, 
you know, mm-hmm. you might do things out of anger because you kind of lose control. Or if you're stuck, curled up in the corner crying for two weeks, make decisions and, and do the things you need to do. Mm. So we, you know, we talk about that. I, I use the the term um, ignorance is bliss very often. Mm. And I say, you know, these people, uh, people like to say, um, I, I, if I were you, I would do this, or I can't believe you did that. I would never. And I remind <laughs> these caregivers, you know, ignorance is bliss. They don't have a clue. Mm. They're not a full-time caregiver. They, they're yeah. not sitting here watching this. So, you know, we say in the South, God, God bless your, bless your heart. <laughs> you kind of have to do that sometimes and let it go, let it go like water off a duck's back, which is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, each of the regional offices at Alzheimer's Tennessee and in other areas of the country, if you're watching and you're not in Tennessee, just find the support resources, reach mm. out to us. We'll do those family consultations with you. I often do refer families to go to an outside counselor just because mm-hmm. they can go further dealing with the family dynamics than, than I'm going to go. We offer a lot of support groups across the state, both in-person support groups and online. So if, if people need that additional support, which I am a huge fan of yes. um, meeting with people who are dealing with the same thing, who yes. have the same experience, it normalizes it for you, helps you feel like, wow, I'm really doing okay here. Yes. I, they may have a solution to something that you don't know about. They may mm. know about a resource that you don't know. So uh, just reach out to that and then good self-care. You've got boundaries in place. You've got to know what your boundaries are. Be willing to stand up for them. No becomes a very, very powerful word. Yes. Especially for women. We don't say that word very often. So it's just finding your your strength and and, uh, recognizing that you really can't do it all, despite what some old commercials and songs used to tell us. You really can't. Mm. What can that, you do? Where do you need to draw some lines? I yeah. am so, um, so for self-care. And so many of us have been raised that, oh, if we take care of ourselves, we're selfish mm-hmm. or we're driven by guilt. And then mm-hmm. we do things by guilt. And then, then, you know, the anger, the resentment. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think the thing that keeps people in anger for so long and resentment is that there's the stories. Like if we could just let the, if we could let the anger and there is, and, you know, irritability, overwhelm, let it flow in and out, take your deep breaths that can really calm the nervous system, go to a therapist, but mm-hmm. it's the stories around that, that keep it, keep it fixed. You can, you can be fixated and you yourself then are at risk of being sick yourself. Absolutely. And we, physically. we take caregivers. I'm sorry. We do. We see caregivers get sick and end up in the hospital more often than the person they're caring for because mm. they're trying to do it all. Yeah. And when families are dealing, you you mentioned guilt. That's such a common thing. It's like carrying around a bag of rocks. It mm. weighs you down. It robs you of your joy. It, it keeps you from making good decisions. So when when families are really struggling with uh, keeping a loved one at home or or maybe placing them in assisted living, we start counting how many people a day is going to interact with your mom are going to interact. There's going to be somebody mm. cooking the meal, taking her the meal, cleaning up yeah. the meal, changing yeah. her sheets, cleaning her bathroom, taking her to activities. We get to about 10 or 11. And then I think I've made my point. <laughs> I say, you know, you can't do that. You, you love her. You want to do this, but you can't stay awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They get new staff in every eight to 12 hours. You can't become a physical therapist, an occupational yeah. Because a speech language pathologist, you can't have all those skills. You, right. you can't meet every single need as one person. So especially mm. for the folks whose 
families aren't committed, that aren't involved. Now I'm seeing some families that all came together. They took shifts, they took turns and it worked out easily. But for somebody who's trying to do it all by themselves, you just reach a point where it is absolutely not possible. And it has nothing to do with love or commitment or desire or a vow that you made. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I hear Mm -hmm. all the time say, I made a vow. Mm. I made a vow, uh, you know, for better, for worse and sickness and in health. And I've, I've edited that vow to now say, yes, you did, but it does not end with all by myself without ever accepting help from anyone. Oh so my we- goodness. That's <laughs> golden. What you yeah. just shared, Cheryl. Yeah. So many people need to hear exactly what you said. That is golden. And- yeah, I had a Baptist pastor that would not let all the little church ladies come and help with his wife. He absolutely refused. And he said, I made a commitment. I made a vow. She is my wife. I said, yes, you did. And for 30 years, you pastored this church and took care of all of those people whenever they had a need. It's time to let them give back to you. And mm. it's still taken a long time to do it. So yeah, that is it's amazing. A thing. Share that story that you, you shared. You said it happened a couple of times, but I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really want to end on a great note too and give okay. people hope. And not that this hasn't been, you know, a good, you've, you've shared so much of your wisdom. It's just, I I guess I do what people that are listening to this right now, if you're in the midst of this, there's hope and get the help you need, but yeah, share, share with us the beautiful story you shared earlier. And I think it kind of wraps up in more than one story, I believe. Uh, yeah, a couple of stories. So first of all, yes, the hope. I, I just want folks to know you are not alone. You do mm-hmm. not have to deal with this alone. If you are at, in Tennessee, we're absolutely here for me, for you. If you're not in Tennessee, give me a call anyway. I can help you locate resources in your community. I'm happy to do that. But uh, the story that I was sharing with you as we started was not once, but twice. I uh, have talked with daughters who had become caregivers for their mothers And yes, Alzheimer's disease is is a Mm. very difficult thing and a very painful thing to go through. But they said, but you know what? My mom and I never had a relationship growing up. Uh, You know, it was very difficult. She wasn't very loving. She wasn't very kind. We had a very strained relationship. But uh, just before we got off the phone, in fact, somebody was sharing with me that, you know, since she's gotten this, we have that relationship that we never had before. So in caring for her, she's telling me she loves me. She's telling me I'm pretty. She's telling me I'm doing a great job. And and so sometimes even in the midst of a, a very difficult situation, there's still light, you know, there can still Mm. be those blessings in the midst of it. So um, there is hope. You do not have to face this alone. And and I encourage you not to reach out. You know, going back to this example, we could either receive that in the now, Mm -hmm. like receive the love from the mom Mm -hmm. or the daughter could easily go back. Well, she didn't do this. You know, I mean, it, it really, it, it's all about being able to receive and it's mm-hmm. all about really being able to live in the present moment too and and not try to change. I mean, if, yeah. And it's I, a choice and not everyone, you're right. Not everyone could make that choice. And it may be, well, you know, he was never there for me. I am not going to spend all my time taking care of him. Mm-hmm. And that's a mm-hmm. more difficult situation. That mm-hmm. one really, there's a lot more emotions in, but these two women were able to go, wow, this is, this is really kind of neat. I'm glad I'm having this time now. And and uh, there'll be a, a great time of healing for them, even in the midst of their grief, mm. this, this healing that'll go along with that. So. Wow. That is beautiful. Cheryl, you're doing such a remarkable work. And I, I can imagine yeah. 
you just really um you light up when you're doing this work I can tell and, <laughs> I love uh, it yeah. yeah and so how can folks get in touch with I guess you don't have a personal website but you said they could get in touch and how would they get in touch with you absolutely so anybody in Tennessee you can go to www.alztennessee the whole word spelled out tennessee.org uh, you can also go on there and find your local office if you're in Tennessee. So I uh, can do that. The Middle Tennessee office is in Franklin and the number to the Middle Tennessee office is 615-580-4244. I also have a Facebook page, Alzheimer's Tennessee Inc. Middle Tennessee. And that's a great place to find out everything we've got going on, like our caring and coping caregiver workshop coming up October 20th in Franklin and our walks and other events that we've got going on. So please do hop over to the website or the Facebook page and then let us know how we can help you. And if you're outside of Tennessee, I know there's help. You know, there's yeah. obviously other organizations. And so yeah. look on Google, find that, that uh, support system that you need. Don't yeah. do it alone. So thank And a you. lot of education on our website. So no matter where you are, you can mm. hop on our website and go to the Caregiver Academy, the Live Well Academy, and lots of webinars that we record in, and put on there as well. So even oh, if that's... you're in California, our website would still be very, very beneficial to you. Oh, that is so good to know. So it's not just the local events, but they can right. tap into these webinars. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. with us, Cheryl. You've just, um, you're, you're doing a remarkable work. And people are so worthy of dignity and value and respect, no matter where they are in their stage. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Bye. Good to see you, Cheryl. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. I really appreciate the wisdom Cheryl shared with us. Here's three things that stood out to me. Number one. Even though family relationships are complicated because of shared history, it's possible to heal through your loved one's illness. What's important is to stay in that present moment. Number two, even though denial makes everything more difficult, a huge mistake is for one person to take on all the caregiving. And then number three, if you're stuck because of a vow that you made to your loved one, edit it accept help from others. What resonated with you? Be assured that I read every comment from those who share their takeaways by filling out the form on the website, betterrelationshipsbetterlife.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Next week, we're shifting topics. I interview Kyle and Ariel Tresh in Secrets to an Unstoppable Business and Marriage. In the meantime, please share, subscribe, rate, and comment in the streaming platform of your choice. See you next time on Better Relationships, Better Life.